The following sermon is brought to you by ThePreachersVault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We're going to spend all of our times here in just a few moments in Proverbs chapter 5. I do appreciate the opportunity to be here. I have been here a number of times in the last few years. I think the first time I was here, I wasn't here. I was over on the other side of town, just a little piece, and enjoyed that. That was pre-heart transplant days then. I was wearing, I don't know, I think I was wearing an IV bag then. I'm not sure if I had that at least but it was about the time I was wearing one, and so uh, pre-heart transplant days. At that time, I probably would have introduced myself as having two children. And then when I came back another year, I probably would have said I had three children. And then when I came back last year, I probably would have said I had four children. And I can come back tonight and say I have five children. And so we have adopted two more. We've got another one we're adopting that's been with us since birth. We will be adopting her, Lord willing, middle of September, middle to end of September, something like that. So uh, I love my kids and I've got them. I got a 15, an 11, a three, two and a one year old right now. And a hectic day today because I left the doctor's office to come here. I'd been in with a one year old. She broke out in a rash. And so you know how that goes. Nothing to it, of course, but you you take them anyway. So that was kind of how that was. Now that gave me enough breathing room. Proverbs chapter 5. Tonight's discussion or topic is, at least the way I remember it, the scars of adultery and fornication. I had actually texted Bob last week. I was up in the northern part of the southeast and uh, away and texted him last week and asked him again what the topic was. I hope he didn't think I didn't have any idea. I knew it was about fornication and adultery, but I, I needed that word scars. I didn't have it in my phone at the time, so I didn't know exactly specifically I want to be sure I had that right. So as, as was just referenced, there are certain things that remain. There are certain things when certain sins, really for that matter, all sins are committed. There are certain residual effects that stand behind those sins and they can be reminders of the terrible things that may have once existed. And some of those things to an extent, never go away. Now, that's not to say that sins can't be washed away. Certainly, the blood of Jesus can do that in baptism, can do that by repentance, can do that through prayer and continual forgiveness and all of that. But that does not mean that all the consequences are always removed. And certainly, adultery and fornication are two of those the same. Now, I want to give you some references. You're in Proverbs chapter 5, and just go ahead and remain there. I want to give you some references because... It's my understanding tonight's discussion is not about what is adultery. It's not about what is fornication. It's not about, as typically would be discussed in light of those two words, uh, the marriage, divorce, and remarriage situation. You need to study that out on your own. You can do that by reading the context, and I emphasize the word context, of Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 19, Mark chapter 10. And that would be your better places to look. You can read the context of what is mentioned concerning marriage and divorce and those relationships, particularly adulterous relationships in First Corinthians chapters 5, 6, and 7. I emphasize 5, 6, and 7 because those three chapters, triune chapters, make up one unit. They need to be studied together, never separately. And it talks about adultery there. It talks about fornication. Matter of fact, chapter 5 talks about a man who was living in the sin of fornication 
in that he had his father's wife. Now, we don't know if that was a stepmother, whatever relationship that was, but it says there that he had his father's wife. So what's really happening is he's committing the sin of fornication. She's committing the sin of adultery, and they're both living in sin at that point. So we don't know exactly how far that went, but Paul addresses that. Chapter 5, he addresses that again in chapter 6 and even chapter 7, how to handle that. And the essence of that is the best way to handle yourself as far as fornication and the temptation to get involved in that sin or adultery and that is the temptation to get in that sin and maybe remain in it it's just to be happily married that's the best medicine that's the best preventative for getting involved in these types of sins now you may wonder well why in the world uh, study these sins i don't know what the other topics were what the other scars were that were mentioned but why study these well first corinthians also speaks of in chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 particularly a listing of sins which by the way uh, contains therein adultery and fornication and says those people will not inherit the kingdom of god and so to me that's enough if i'm going to miss heaven because of these sins and there's a listing of sins that's rather lengthy there even apart from these two but if I could possibly miss heaven because of these sins I need to be aware of those and so that's why these sins are brought up that's why they're mentioned and then that's why they're going to be studied now I want to warn you we're going to be using Proverbs chapter 5 most of you were already there all I had to do was open to it but we're going to be using Proverbs chapter 5 to discuss some of the warnings and some of the things that are taking place around these two sins and you'll know the book of Proverbs primarily written by Solomon written in this case and in specifically in this case he writes two first two words of the text Proverbs chapter 5 to my son and so I want you to begin by just putting your mindset right to understand that when Solomon writes these words, he's writing as a father would to his son. Or you might even present it as a father would to their child. Or if you want to turn it over for your understanding, as a mother would to her daughter. So he's writing with sincerity. He's writing with simplicity. He's writing with a level of honesty to let them know to avoid these things. But you also need to keep in mind, this is the case with everything biblical, that any time you read any book, any chapter, any verse, no matter how it seems to be word, you're not reading the words of just Solomon or just Paul or just Peter or just John or whatever the case, you're reading the words of God. So from one real perspective, what you're reading here is God the Father writing to us, His children, and warning us against fornication, warning us against adulterous relationships and trying to keep us from that. Now, we'll divide the night study in about, into about four or five parts, depending on how far we can go. And when we get down to one section, which will be basically next to the last, we'll break that section out into six pieces. The, all of which, all six, will be the specific scars, not that I've come up with out of my mind, and I tried to do that. I tried to consider developing this lesson, this sermon, if you, whatever you want to call it, from that perspective. And I finally backed off and said, that's not going to work. You could come up with 5,000 and half of them be wrong. Let's see what God says. What is the, what are the residual effects? What's the damage, the scars left by these sins according to God? So let's just start the reading now. 
Here in Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 1, and my disclaimer, I am dyslexic and autistic, so if I don't read well, I hope that you read well, because that will improve all of our relationship right here tonight. But let's start incrementally reading Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 1. Here's what it said here, King James translation I'm reading from, you may be a little different, but here's what he says, my son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear unto my understanding. That thou mayest regard, look at the next word I'm looking at, that thou mayest regard discretion and that thy lips may keep knowledge. Now I want to emphasize the word discretion now and I'll give you the first main heading if you're writing notes or if you just want to keep them in your mind. The first main heading I want to notice with you is what I'm going to consider as the discretion, the discretion that we ought to access. And that is as stated right here, verses 1 and 2, is that whatever we're going to learn, and this applies again to any biblical topic, but specifically, and when you, we complete the reading of chapter six, uh, chapter 5 and a part of chapter 6, you're going to see specifically fornication and adultery, the discretion that we have has to come from the source, and that is from the creation of those relationships that involve that sexual activity, and that's God. Because we ask the, the rhetorical questions, where else are we really going to learn? Are we to turn on the television and learn about the sexual relationships? Or should we turn on the movies and learn about the marital relationships or the uh, uh, love type, loving relationships out there? You'd say, absolutely not. That's a terrible source and resource for that. We can't gain it from our music. We can't even half gain it from looking at our neighbors. For that matter, sometimes, and it's unfortunate to have to admit, but sometimes we can't even look to our own family members to get good examples for what a good godly home and a good godly marriage and a good godly relationship ought to look like. And so Solomon, and you know who this is, this is the wisest man God would ever apply wisdom to, who would ever live because God gave it to him, who lived, however, in fornication, in adulterous type relations, who lived under terrible situations because of his own doings. Solomon says and basically pleads with his sons and says, my son, use discretion when it comes to this. Be careful where you get your information. And so that really has to be the basis of all that we consider and all that we know. Now, I want to give you a, a quote or two. And when I say quote, I filed this all the way in my mind. And so if it doesn't come through perfectly, if you go home and Google it and it doesn't match, that's because I'm not Google. But basically a quote that comes back from years ago. Any, any of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but if any of you have ever heard of Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner is basically the king of pornography. That's just what he is. And so a lot of the adulterous, fornicative type relationships that have ever existed really had their basis and their boundaries started right out in Hugh Hefner and his materials that he's produced that have destroyed most of our nation and world. Hugh Hefner, being a king of all of that, said on one occasion, it was basically quoted as saying that if Jesus Christ, he's talking about our Jesus, he said if Jesus Christ had a choice to either be on the staff of Playboy magazine or be on the staff of these joy-killing churches out there, he'd choose Playboy every time. Now, does that make any sense? 
We know better than that. We, we know Jesus would have never gone after that pattern. As a matter of fact, some of the references I gave a moment ago, such as Matthew chapter 5, such as Matthew chapter 19, such as Mark chapter 10, all of those were the words of Jesus when he was prohibiting, when he was standing against these types of relationships. As a matter of fact, the word fornication that we're not really giving a lot of detail to define tonight, the word fornication comes from a Greek word, pornea, which is actually where we get our English word for pornography. So Hugh Hefner, you, you man, you are the one who is actually standing and spitting in the face of my Lord and saying something like that. So where are we going to learn? Where are we going to find these things? We're not going to find them from the world. So number one, that we have to understand the discretion that we would access. Now we've got to keep moving. We've got five of these. Number two. We read on just a little bit farther. We'll pick up in verse 3. For the lips of a strange woman. Now, by strange woman, he means a woman who does not keep herself under the realms of God. He means a, a, basically a woman who's involved, and this is a sexual context here. I'm not going to piece and part of the way from that, but a woman who is involved in things that are not right, that are not moral. And he says, a strange, for the lips of a strange woman, uh, drop as in honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end, that is when you complete and you understand who this woman is, but her end is as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a two-edged sword. And you read on into verse 5, but her feet go down to death and her steps take hold on hell. So what are we moving into now? Second point, if you want to main head, the second point is we have to also understand the deception the deception that we must avoid. So once we use discretion, we have to be careful to understand the deception that we have to avoid. Because by example, and he uses by example here the strange woman. You say, well, why would he pick on a woman? Why would he accuse a woman, as he says here, of having lips as a honeycomb and, and her mouth being smooth as an oil and her uh, bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword? Well, he's not picking on women. Again, he's speaking to his sons, so of course he's going to talk about females. If he was speaking to daughters, I'm sure he could reverse that in the same way. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, you know very well likewise, there are many men who are more immoral and, and I'll just use the word downright nasty compared to women as they would ever want to be. Now the idea, and we're fixing to jump across the page into chapter six for just a second, but the idea here is just to uh, il uh, illustrate some of these points. When he says her lips are of uh, the strange water is a drop of honeycomb, he means by that her lips are sweet. She's attractive. Uh, she gains your attention. She can pull your attention in. The next phrase there says her mouth is smooth and old. Not only is her not only is her look about her, but it's the words that she uses. She's a smooth talker. I mean, she can really drum up a good game, play up a good game, entice a man. Same thing could be reversed from a male toward a female. And then the second part there that we read, her feet go down to death, meaning she's going to carry you farther than you would ever want to go on your own. Now you're in chapter 5 as we're looking at it, verses 3 through 5, but go across the page to chapter 6. I want to show you a verse just across the page, and I, I'm blessed that my Bible just happens to be laid out this way, so I don't even have to flip. But in chapter 6, I want you to notice with me just a verse over there in verse 32. Here's what it said there, chapter 6 and verse 32. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh, underline these words if you like, 
Whosoever committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. What do you mean by that? He doeth destroy, he doth destroy his own soul. Now, you can write in your margin because I want you to interpretate words properly, biblical words properly. The Hebrew word that backs up these two English words I'm reading, lacketh understanding, literally means whosoever committeth adultery or fornication is and I don't use this word in front of my children because I don't want them using it, but I do want it to be plain. They're stupid. That, that's what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says the people who are involved in these types of situations, that adulterous and that committing or continuing to commit adulterous adultery, they're stupid. They lack understanding. They don't get it. Now, Let's go right back up the page. You're in chapter 6. That is verse 32. Go right back up the page, and he's going to expound upon the description from chapter 5 in verse 3 through 5. But in chapter 6, read with me about this woman, what, what exactly she's able to do. And again, not just to put this off on women, to put it on men likewise. We'll illustrate as we go through. Look in verse 24, chapter 6 and verse 24. To keep thee... now. I'm sorry, let's look into verse 23. For the commandment of the lamp and the law are right and reproof and instruction of the ways of life. To keep thee from the evil woman, that's the same as the strange woman, from the flattery, and I've got that word underlined, from the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. Let me notice Three things with you from just those two verses, or three, two, three, but mainly verse 24 and 25 that this woman is able to do. Number one, she flatters. Straight up, right out of the text. She flatters. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a male or female. We all know this. And if you don't remember this, you back up to your teenage days, most likely teenage days, and you ask yourself, if you were going out on a date with someone of the opposite sex, did you not put some effort into that date? Yes. My wife could tell the stories. I met her when I was 19 years old. I already had a job. I already had a new car. I already had some things going my direction. I worked hard. I did everything I could to do. And I tried to impress her. So much so, we had a date scheduled every Friday night at 6 o'clock. Guess what? I happened to be off on Fridays. I worked a four-day work week. Every Friday, about 12 o'clock, I went out and bought an entirely new outfit. I'm talking shirt, shoes, uh, everything, every Friday. And a part of our date was me going and buying her a new outfit to flatter her. Now he says about this woman, it's not that positive really, to keep from the evil woman from flattery. The next part of this goes on, and lust not after her beauty. Now, is there anything with a woman being beautiful? Goodness, I hope not. I mean, no, there's not. And he's not against that. What he's speaking of here is a woman who's using her beauty and only her beauty to attract a man. Now, two sides of this coin. Number one, there's a woman, and this, this would attend to every woman in this room, but especially to those who are younger. If, if you are trying to attract a young man... I don't mean to stare at you. You just happen to be on the corner. But if, and I, I'll turn here. You're not a, you're not a woman, so I look at you. If you are trying to attract a young man or a young woman 
but especially a young man, if you attract him with nothing but beauty, guess what you've got to keep him with? Beauty. You've got to keep him with that. If you get him with just your beauty, and I mean outward beauty, you've got to keep him with that. Now here's the problem. There are beautiful girls coming up every day, and you're headed over the hill. Someone asked me one time, they said, Jim, what do you think about a girl wearing makeup? I'm glad many do, and I'd be mad if some didn't. <laughs> I mean, it, it, okay, people have varied opinions, but right here, this woman is trying to flatter him. She's t- tickling his ears, telling him, oh man, you, you're the best looking thing, and what, what's she after? We don't really know. But but she's trying to impress him with just her beauty. And then the last one here, verse 25, to reread the latter phrase, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. She's batting those eyes. Boy. You know that come hither look? You, you know half the stories, half of our stories began with, oh, I saw her and she saw me and our eyes locked. Nothing wrong with that. But again, we have to be careful. Now, from the other side of that, men, if we ever get a woman based on nothing but her look or nothing but her ability to flirt, we had not got much. Inward beauty lasts forever. Matter of fact, a woman who is a beautiful Christian woman, her beauty will grow throughout the years. And you know that as well as I do. Many of you are experiencing that right now. So going back to our context, just go back across, just flip the page back over to chapter 5. We looked at verse 3 through 5, the deception we should avoid. Number next, this one's important here too. Number next, we're going to be looking at the distance, the distance we should attain. Because there's a certain distance we have to keep from certain sins. And and you all understand, you've heard it expressed before, and I'll just reference it. We are told to do with what? Especially the sin of fornication. Flee fornication. You fight many sins. You can stand up and fight and and all that, but you are to flee fornication. I know it was not the situation as recorded in Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4, but if you'll remember, Jesus was tempted after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And those are in order, by the way, as they're found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. But in Luke chapter 4, for example, he was tempted after those matters. Jesus was not asked by Satan to commit a sexual act. Else, I don't know if he'd used the scripture or not. I think he would have tucked tail and ran. Joseph did that with Potiphar's wife. Somebody thinks Usain bolts fast. I guarantee you, Joseph would smoke that fella. He got out of Potiphar's house. Now look at the text here. I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything extra biblical here. Look in verse um, 5, and we'll follow into verse 6. Let uh, her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Verse 6, lest thou shouldest ponder the path of her ways that are movable, that thou canst not know them. You don't know which way she's going to go. You don't know which way she's going to turn or what she's going to pull. Hear me now, therefore. Ye children, depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way. What's the next word? Far from her, and come not nigh unto the door of her house. What's he saying? 
He's telling his sons, and this is a man who's been there, done that. He's not proud of it at this point. He's writing a book here, a portion of a book here, especially as he would write the entire book of Ecclesiastes to go through and say, look, here's what all I've tried, and this is what didn't work. But he's writing this chapter particularly here to his son, and he says, look, you don't even need to get close to those relationships. You don't even need to consider that. Now, I had, a, I had, well, he's my best friend in the world. He is 30, 36. I'm 42, he's 36. He's younger than I am. He's 36 years old. He was married two years ago. Very first time ever. As a 36-year-old man, at that time 34-year-old man, do you think full-time job, house of his own, four-bedroom, two-bath house, do you think he could have had some kind of relationships with a woman who would be his wife without anybody finding out about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. He started dating her. What do you think the advice I gave him was? I'm not trying to be godly and holy. What do you think the advice I gave him was? Don't you go in her house and don't you let her come in yours. For nothing. He said, she wants to cook supper. Don't you fall for that. I'm not saying it's sinful. I'm saying that's the advice that's given right here. Don't go nigh to her door. Don't put yourself in that position. Now, let's, let's look at that just a little bit more and, and let's think about some relationships. You think about in the workplace. And I'm just, again, I'm throwing out some, some illustration here. Not, not command or anything. I'm throwing out some illustration. You find yourself in a workplace and there's some flirtation going on. There's some batting of the eyes from across the page. There's a beautiful woman or a good looking man over there. And there's some flirtation that starts and you start noticing in your heart. I'm not talking about them out there in the world. I'm talking about you. You start noticing in your heart that the feelings are beginning to, to twist and change a little bit. You know what your best options are right then? Quit. So I need my job. You need your morality. You need your soul more than you need that job. He said, don't you come nigh to her door. Don't put yourself. I need not put myself into that position. I remember years ago, and you can find this quote all over the place, but I remember years ago hearing it, and I've tried to keep it in my mind. He who does not want to fall does not need to walk on slippery slopes. And I've heard other versions of that, but that's basically the gist of it. If you don't want to fall, don't walk on slippery slopes. We've got to stand up. Now, number next. Not only considering here from verses, verses 1 and 2 the discretion we should access. Yes, we have to listen to God we have no other resource that's reliable. Do we have to understand the deception we should avoid? Yes, it is the fact that, that some are going to try to get us to fall, try to get us to slip and stumble. The distance we should attain, but here's, here's kind of the scars here. And this, we'll spend a little more time on this because we got a lot of text to cover. Verse 15 to 23. But what about the damage that we may acquire. These are the scars. I've got scars all over my body. I've got a scar here from falling on Coke bottles at five years old. I've got a scar here from slipping in the kitchen floor at three years old where I had a pin put through my leg. I stayed in traction for six weeks and a body cast for eight. I've got scars here from having my appendix taken out. I've got a scar here from having a heart transplant. I've got other scars. Some are, some are scars of tr- tragedy. Some are scars of triumph. This is tragic. What happens 
to a person. This is biblical. What happens to a person when they get wrapped up in the sin of adultery, the sins of fornication? What happens? Let's last, let's ask the text right here. Just start the reading up in verse number, um, nine. We just read, remove thyself far from her, don't come nigh unto her. Verse nine. Lest thou give thine honor unto others in thy years unto the cruel. Verse 10, Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in the house of the stranger. Now, what is that? I'm just going to put some words. I've been using some D words already. We'll use some more D words. There'll be six of these unless I stumble and miss one. If I do, just say, hey, you missed one. Figure it out. I'll help you figure it out maybe. The first one here that's listed, verse 9 and 10, is the scar, or if you will, the the damage of dissipation. Dissipation. Now, do you use that word, Aniana? We don't use it in Mumford, but it was a D word and it fit, okay? Dissipation. What I mean by that is your stuff starts disappearing. It just starts diminishing, going away. And that's what he's stating here. He said, he said, lest, don't, don't get involved in this, lest strangers be filled up with your wealth, uh, lest, lest you yourself, the labors of your house, they're going to be gone. I had a really good friend of mine. This has been, oh, probably 12, 12, 13 years ago. Good friend I worked with, as a matter of fact, known him for, well, I've known him for 12 years by that point, I guess. He was he was successful outside of uh, all that he had, had gained in life, gathered in life. He had a huge house, and I'm talking human perspective. I wasn't necessarily that envious of him, but I'm measuring it by human perspective. He had a huge house. He had several cars, a few classic cars. He actually drove a Corvette. I'm talking about a brand new Corvette, not some class, just not some fixed up class, a, a nice Corvette. He had all this stuff. Had a wonderful wife. Had three beautiful little children. All this going on for him. Until, and I'll use terms we use, until he hooked up with another woman from work. You know what? His children call another man daddy now. There's another fellow that's got a nice house. And another guy has passed him in the street driving his Corvette. It all went away. Dissipation. He's, he's telling his sons here. He's saying, look, if you want to get involved in this, if you want to go nigh to your door, her door, if you want to get down to the steps of hell, verse uh, 5, if you want to fall for those strange uh, lips of honeycomb and, and the smoother, uh, smooth words or the smooth and oil, you want to get involved in all that. It's okay, but you're going to start losing what you have. Now someone says, well, I don't have any wealth, so what's the big deal? Emotional wealth. Well-being. It's going to go. It can't remain. There's going to be scars that stand behind. You say, well, maybe I can patch things up. Maybe I can make things right. A good, uh, thanks be to God, we could. We can. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 do mention the, the fornicators and adulterers and effeminate and all these people. God will judge. Do not have their part in, in, the, in, uh, in heaven. All that. It also goes on to say, such as were some of you. See, the picture there in the next verse, verse 11, is that you can recover. Yeah, you can recover, but sometimes damage, dissipation is done. Number two, scar, damage, whatever you want to call it. Number two, we read on just a little bit farther here. Verse 11, 
that thou mourn at the last when thy flesh, and this is the phrase I'm looking at, and thy body are consumed. You know what that is? I mean, it's, it's plain here anyway. That's disease. That's, in, in this case, because of the context, that's sexually transmitted diseases. Somebody says, well, that's not as big a deal as it used to be. You know, medical technology. I, I was reading a study just last week trying to look into some of this. Do you know sexually transmitted diseases have actually increased tenfold? Tenfold in the last about six years? And that many of those diseases now, or uh, I don't know what you call it other than to say they're immune to, to many of the drugs that used to supposedly work. How long has it been since you heard much about a disease called AIDS? Now, as a disclaimer, there are many, 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 many people who are innocent who have uh, who have uh, received or, or 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 gotten the disease called AIDS, HIV, AIDS. Many are innocent, but friends, that did not come about because of innocence. That's not where that all started. That started with people who were immoral in their sexual preferences and activities. And I'm keeping that as high on a plane as I can. That's what that started with. And, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm happy to speak tonight here at the Aniana Church of Christ Church building to speak on the topic, but I would prefer to say on all the national networks that, that AIDS and, and all these diseases, they would not be the problem they are had it not been for immoral people. There wouldn't be these kind of troubles. You say, well, it doesn't affect me. It, it's affecting you somewhere. Maybe you're, maybe you personally, maybe because of your purity, absolutely. And yes, it's, it's as, it's as terrible as drugs and everything else. It's, it's in our families. It's in our friend groups. It's, it's out there. And it's putting our, our own families in danger. Someone can be as pure as the driven snow. And then marry someone or get in a relationship, a one-time, you know, honest relationship. God-given relationship and, and get into something like this. Maybe even innocent in it. I'm not denying that, but, but still pay the price. So there's dissipation. There's disease. Look on a little bit more. This one is troubling to me too. Verse 12. And say, how have I hated instruction? And my heart despised reproof. Now, I'm not going to get to verse 13. We're fixing to, to make our point. But I want to say right here, the problem with well, what Solomon's telling his son is going to be a problem is you're going to sit back one day if you're not careful, boy, and you're going to say, why didn't I listen to my daddy? Why didn't I listen to the people around me who told me better, who tried to teach me better? My parents, my grandparents, my friends... The, the medical people or, or whatever, my preacher. I realize Jim Merle is just so square, I was probably born in a square box, okay? But this is Bible. This is right and right and wrong is wrong. 
And he says, my son, you know, there's coming a day. I'm just going to reread it here. Thou hast hated instruction. You don't want to hear this. This doesn't involve, at this point, my five children. But I tell you what, my 15-year-old daughter right now, I'm, I, could, I could kiss somebody in the mouth for assigning me this topic. I don't know who you are. And I wouldn't because of the topic. I'm married. But you guarantee, you can, you can bet your bottom, no, you couldn't do it. You couldn't bet either, could you? You can be guaranteed. A part of our family Bible time in the next week is going to be sitting down with this chapter right here to make sure my son and my daughter hear it. Why? Keep up the reading here. Y'all, you've hated instruction. You despise reproof. Verse 13. And have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that have instructed me. And almost in all evil, watch this now. This is the key, verse 14. And was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation, the assembly. Now, we're missing this. At least I'm missing this in the King James translation. Other translations and the Hebrew back this up. What he's saying here is, you've gotten yourself to a point because you were hard-headed and didn't listen, son, or you're going to be so hard-headed and you don't listen, son, you're going to find yourself, here's my D word, disgraced in all the congregation. Everywhere you look, everybody's going to know what you've done. You're going to be disgraced by it. When I was in the Memphis School of Preaching, which was 2004 to 6, one of my, of course, everybody's favorite instructor as far as his character was going to be Garland Elkins. Garland Elkins was involved in about 1980 on the Phil Donahue show with a situation where there was a member of the church in Texas, a lady who was involved in an adulterous relationship. I'm going to tell us quick. She was involved in an adulterous relationship and the church tried to withdraw fellowship from her. Actually, they did. And instead of being disgraced and seeing the love and compassion that congregation had, they even say, you know what, we're not going to be a part of your sin and we beg you to come home. She took it to the national media and hired a lawyer and sued them. It's a disgrace. We got to move on. We got, we ain't even halfway through the, through the scars. Disgrace. Next one here. Dominion. Look at Dominion, verse 22. We'll drop down for time's sake. Read in between though, please. Verse 22. And his own iniquities shall take the wicked himself and he shall be holding of the cords of his sins. He's saying here, you're going to get so wrapped up in this, it's going to wrap you up and choke you out and you're not going to be able to get out. I heard someone describe it one time as, as, a, as a, a man. This was from a man to a woman. So that man said he took and th- he tossed the thread out to a young lady. And when she grabbed hold of it, it turned into a cord. And when he pulled back, it turned into a cable. And when she pulled back, it turned into a chain. And when he pulled again, it wrapped them both up and they couldn't get out. That's basically what the relationships we're talking about. Dominion. The word there and the idea is that it rules over. It's bonding us and binding us, the cords of his sins. He's bound up by that. Number next, not only dominion, but here's the last one here in this list, verse 23, but death. 
as a scar, and this is to be a terrible scar to have, but as a scar of these things, it could result in death. If not physical death, certainly spiritual death could result. And he shall die, verse 23, chapter 5. He shall die without instruction. And the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. I have not... uh, not conducted, I don't know if the word conducted, I hate to use that term, but I've not actually been involved in a funeral where I had to bury a friend that, that was in an adulterous relationship. I've been in some rough stuff, but not that. But I've certainly sat in the pews of people who've lived that way. Matter of fact, I attended a funeral of a woman who I thought, believed, uh, went to her funeral and thought, boy, she must be one of the greatest, most faithful, godly women I've ever known. And when they stood up, and I'm, I mean, I'm not making fun. I'm, I'm being honest here. When they stood up, uh, I thought I knew her. When they stood up and read her obituary, I'm not kidding you. They said her name was blank, 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 blank. And what they were doing was naming off the names she had had throughout her life from the time she'd been married. I didn't know nothing about. Now, she was dead and gone. I didn't have time. I couldn't take time to ask questions, but I guarantee she hadn't been married this many times and not been and been innocent in all of them. Even if she had, they hadn't been. Friends, in these relationships, they're very well maybe one innocent party or two guilty parties, but they're not going to be two innocent parties in an adulterous relationship. Now, so what are the scars? What, in this case, the way I'm illustrating it also, what's the damage that is acquired? It is dissipation. It is disease. It is disappointment. It is disgrace. It is dominion. And it is death. Now, let's close on a lighter note. How about that? Let's, let's put one more point behind it. It's the main point. What about the design? The design of what God approves. That's better. What is, what's God looking for? Verse 15 to 23 is the text to read in full, but looking in verse 18, just to pick up somewhere, let the fountain be blessed. Let us rejoice with the wife of our youth. That is, uh, get married. That's, that's what I referenced earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, particularly. Just, just get married. Get married and stick with that. Just stick with the wife of your youth. That's what he's encouraging his, his son to do here. Just to, to rejoice with the wife of thy youth. That is, it is a lasting marriage. Number next, verse 19, let her be as a loving hind and a pleasant roe, and her breast satisfy thee all the times that thou be ravished always with her love. Let it also be a loving marriage. Loving marriage. And I mean by that all the forms of love that are needed, the emotional love, the sexual love, the, the spiritual love that's involved in a, in a good, healthy Christian relationship. Because in essence and in ultimate here, what marriage, that kind of marriage is, a godly marriage, is a liberating marriage. Let's read that from verse 21 and 22 together. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings, for his own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holding of his own cords. Why? And he shall die without instruction, and the greatness of his folly shall go astray. What's the opposite of what he mentions? It's not bondage. It's not cords. It's liberty. 
You've heard people before in speaking of this type of... Is the term God-awful good to say, I guess? These, these ungodly relationships, you hear people say, well, you know, well, that's just free love. That's the way we did it in the 70s and the 60s. That's just free loving. That's a liberty. That's bondage. To put it plainly, if we're not careful, we can get in a position where we're trying to have our cake today and we're going to end up with a very crummy tomorrow. We have to understand what God's will for us is. A loving marriage, a lasting marriage, so we can have real liberty inside of Him. I appreciate your attention tonight.